This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's great news for anyone intending to travel and also a recognition that people are planning trips and taking them regardless of what the government says. So fully vaccinated passengers no longer need expensive PCR tests to enter the country. Rapid tests taken within 24 hours of arrival will suffice. Now, people will still be selected for those random PCR tests at the airport, but they won't have to quarantine at home awaiting the results. Those rule relaxations, of course, for people who are fully vaccinated. The government is also dropping the global travel advisory recommending against all non-essential travel. Now it's only urging us to take precautions. So will this make it a lot easier to travel? Because frankly, It's been an incredible hassle. And will it bring much-needed business to our beleaguered travel industry? So first, I want to hear from our audience. Have you been booking trips, making trips? I know a lot of people have put a lot of their plans on hold. And for the Zoomer generations, travel is very high on the agenda. So are you booking, planning going on trips. And uh, how far out are you looking and are you changing what you might otherwise do? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'm joined by Martin Firestone, President of Travel Secure, and Beth Potter, President and CEO of the Tourism Industry Association of Canada. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with Marty. So how much does this change? It is what I think incredibly positive, and let's call it a step in the right direction. I have to mute my enthusiasm a tad because yesterday when I was so excited about it, many calls and emails from people not quite feeling the way I did, feeling it has to totally be taken away before it's going to work. But I say better late than never, and it's in the right direction. So I suspect travel sales and purchases will increase dramatically right off the bat. Beth Potter, what about you? Oh, I'd echo those comments exactly. I mean, this is um, definitely a forward movement uh, back to what we, you know, would commonly call normal travel. Um, but there is still that testing requirement uh, that is in place. And so, um, you know, there's still a ways for us to go. But uh, definitely, you know, we're going in the right direction now. Uh, Marty, um it, it's good news, but you can't exactly take one of those antigen tests at home and show the result. You, uh, what does it mean? Is it, is it okay to get it at a pharmacy? Uh, what do you have to get? 
Yeah, so a couple of real interesting points that have come out in discussions already this morning. The 24-hour limit that you have to get it and be back in Canada, it's going to be interesting for the snowbirds and your Zoomer uh, population that don't drive home in 24 hours. So it's not like they're going to get it in Florida in a pharmacy and then it'll still be viable when they get to the border. So people have to plan a little bit to stop at some point and get it at another location. So that's just an interesting point for maybe people who are listening. But I think... At the end of the day, it's going to be a lot better than running around for a $300 PCR test and then waiting for results, which could take, you know, 48 hours instead of a 15-minute result at a pharmacy level, wherever they may be. Okay, uh, so that's not bad. But uh, And is it the same? It's the same on the other end. You need a negative antigen test to get into the United States, right? Correct. And and that's what we have at local pharmacies here, and it's one, two, three, and you're kind of used to it. So Theoretically, if the same sort of test is required there, but what didn't come out yesterday, most interesting is if you test positive on this antigen test, do you still have to quarantine 10 days before you can get back into the country? I suspect the answer is yes. So that still is in place also in case that happens. Uh, before we get on to the next subjects, the, the last time that I, I traveled and, and had to get one of those antigen tests, so I think the rule then was 72 hours and it was not easy to get the test. I, it was dialing for dollars at pharmacies, and they're saying, well, we can, we can uh, do this next Thursday. Uh, so do, do either of you know if that's eased up? I think the, um, the, the, the idea of getting an antigen test will be much easier than getting a PCR test and a lot less expensive and results in 15 minutes. So I'm, I suspect this is going to be an easier exercise than it ever was before. Uh, Beth, you were going to say something? No, I was going to say the exact same thing. Yeah, like I said, the the last time I looked, it wasn't that easy. Uh, I don't know, maybe if you uh, book it way in advance, but but they were hard to find also. Uh, though I guess now, since there are more at-home kits, maybe uh, it's easier to deal with the pharmacy. Beth Potter, what is, uh, among your members, the hardest-hit part of the travel industry and how do you see a recovery? Well, it's been um, a real challenge for really all kinds of businesses across our suite of sectors that make up the travel and tourism industry. And so um, whether it's, you know, those big festivals or small festivals that, you know, destinations use as an attractor um, or, um, um, you know, booking into a resort, but, you know, they're being told they're at capacity because they don't have enough staff. I mean, staffing has been a big issue for us. But, you know, the um, the biggest, I think, impact has been those those, those live events. Uh, they have been, they've been cut down um, over the last two years because they're the ones that have the biggest number of people in attendance. So I'm um, really looking forward to the return of those, of those live events this year. In fact, Starting in just a couple of weeks. Hmm. Really? Uh, what? What's? Uh, what are some of the ones coming up soon? Um, well, we're we're hearing that uh, you know business events are starting to to come back. So uh, conferences and trade shows, um, and um, and consumer shows. So in the Toronto area, as an example. Um, in April, uh, the Cottage Life Spring Show will be back on uh, in its full capacity, and that's—I know it's a a big um, 
uh, you know, lots, lots of folks uh, that would listen to to this radio station um, are also cottagers, and they would love to be in attendance at that show. Marty, in terms of insurance, you brought up a question that we don't know if somebody tests positive, what does it mean for them? Uh, We know that uh, the quarantine policy here was reduced to five days, but uh, we don't know what it means for somebody trying to reenter the country. I believe they are looking at 11 days now or 10, one of the two. So, that still is in force, and that is why a trip interruption insurance product is probably prudent to buy now that would cover you if you test positive for accommodations, expenses, and airfare back home. So as long as that requirement is still there for a test, and if you test positive, you have to quarantine and can't return on that flight that day, things like interruption insurance will still be a, a, a good suggestion to buy. Hmm. And how do you buy them? strictly, again, through insurance companies, brokers, travel agents, whatever you just say, what if I test positive? What am I supposed to do then? And then they would tell you that there is a product out there that if your trip gets interrupted because of a positive test and you have to quarantine, there is ability to buy a product that will cover accommodations, expenses, and new airfare home. And is it is it an expensive product? Not at all. Matter of fact, Numbers can be as little as $35 to insure a little one-week trip just in the do test positive. And let me tell you, plenty of people and families that were all away at Christmas time on all-inclusives, one of them, in fact, got tested positive, and that kept the whole family there. So it's definitely a necessary product coming up with March break. Right. And if you... Um if if one person, right, if you have a couple and one person tests positive, can the other one travel? They, they could, but the point is, chances are they're both going to stay for the quarantine period or, you know, in the case of a family, you're not going to leave a child there, so the whole family stays and it will cover all of you, yes. Hmm, That's, uh, that seems like it's still prudent. Uh, you know, I have to uh, confess, I'm planning a trip and looking at airfares and things, and it seems to be back to, uh, you know, not a lot of flexibility in a lot of the products that you're buying. You're, you're on the hook. Yeah, I think that, uh, quite frankly, <laughs> the cheapest time to buy is today because tomorrow and every day thereafter, it's only going to go one way, coupled with the fuel uh, situation going on and cost of fuel, along with what I think will be a big return to travel. I think these prices are going to go through the roof again, but I guess that's what it's all about, the pent-up demand, and, and uh, that's what people are going to be facing. Beth Potter, in terms of travel agents, are people using travel agents more just because of all the uncertainties involved? We are certainly seeing that, yes. Um, you know, travel agents have a level of knowledge about not only the destination where you want to go, but also, you know, the rules and the regulations that you're going to have to follow in order to, um, to, to, you know, get where you're going and come back again. So travel agents, um, certainly we've seen an uptick in people using them. Okay, uh, let me give the numbers out again. Again, I would like to hear from the audience if you have travel plans, if you've put off travel plans, are you going to put them back on the table right now if the change in the PCR testing is going to affect you? I mean, it could mean thousands of dollars if you're traveling with a family. Uh, they've cost up to 300 bucks in the U.S., 
So again, the numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And Marty, have you seen any change in the destinations people are booking? Not at this point. I'm still waiting to see activity internationally for summer of 2022. And that still is a cause for concern, regardless of yesterday's announcements, because at the end of the day, trip cancellations still will not cover a decision to cancel because of a border closure, another wave, an airline suspension to fly to that area, a government advisory going back up to three or four. So we can't quite get over that hurdle yet where someone's putting out large deposits on a trip. And they don't have the peace of mind that if they can't get to that destination, they won't be reimbursed the money. That's still a problem as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Beth, is that a problem for your members? It is. We really want to see those international visitors come back to Canada. Um, And, you know, we've got some work to do ahead of us to really let people know that Canada is open for travel again. Um, But we've seen some very positive um, uh, responses from our in-market reps. Um, you know, in the UK, in France, in Germany, uh, looking to come back to Canada, um, and uh, certainly um, the US as well. So really looking forward to to welcoming the world back here uh, in the months to come. Um, and, and they're booking now. Now is the time to be booking for the summer. And so um, we're starting to see, you know, those surges happen. And that is good news. What about our dollar? Uh, I don't know who's doing that. Somebody, uh, please stop. <laughs> um, what about our dollar, Beth? Uh, is our dollar considered a good deal now? And we just saw inflation numbers today, over 5% for the first time in, in many, many years. Is that a problem, too? Um you know, when we look at uh, the average um, uh, leisure traveler coming into Canada, um, they tend to be uh, a higher value traveler. Um, and so they are looking for um, y- unique experiences. They're not looking for, you know, kind of the bargain um, type of vacation. You know, you're not coming to Canada to do uh, an all-inclusive type of vacation. You're coming to um, really experience some really unique um, parts of the country and um, and unique offerings. And so, um, uh, you know, yes, you know, is the value of our dollar and the cost of of uh, the increasing costs associated with travel, you know, going to have an impact. For some, I absolutely agree that it will, but I think that uh, if people are trying to choose Canada as a destination, that they're going to they're going to come anyway. We're on, Canada's a bucket list item, and so they're going to they're going to want to come anyway. And Marty, going in the opposite direction, how is uh, the uh, level of the dollar? Is it is it okay or uh, a problem? I guess it, a lot of things are going to be a problem with inflation and, and everything that's going the way it is. Our, our typical snowbirds, though, they're going to go away and they're going to go for their six months. The question of whether people have the luxury of going on a summer vacation to an Italy or a France and things like that is all going to depend on what are these trips going to cost and who's getting who. The dollar's going to play a huge role in that. So at this point, amongst all the other issues we have going on with COVID and the pandemic, you've now got these issues with the dollar and other fuel issues and things like that. Okay, uh, Beth Potter, anything you'd like to leave us with on this? 
Well, I just want to say that, you know, um, travel is uh, something that we all look forward to. It's great for, you know, connecting with family and friends. It's also great for our own mental health. Um, and so, um, you know, you know, Look for look for those good value. I'm not suggesting that you you know you're going to go and and look for for business or sorry for for bargain for bargain trips, but look for good value. Look for um, those opportunities that you know you you feel you're going to get the most out of them, and um, and don't forget that you know some of those best experiences can be found uh, in your own backyard. That's right. And we didn't even get to this provincial credit for taking a holiday in Ontario. There's an incentive. I guess that'll be a topic for a different segment. Uh, Martin Firestone, last word to you. I think one other thing that was overlooked, also great news yesterday, was that 12 years and younger, who typically had to quarantine 14 days when they returned from a trip, can now uh, do not have to isolate and go, go right back to school or daycare, which is going to get a lot of families who are on the fence at March break to decide now, let's go, because we don't have the issue that we were faced with before yesterday's announcement. So all positive. I really think we're going in the right direction. Well, uh, if uh, anybody is just making a decision for March break, they better hurry up. That's all I have to say. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. thanks. Thank you so much, Beth Potter and Martin Firestone. We'll be talking about this again soon. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, you know, the doctors were among those advocating for this loosening of restrictions. So we'll talk a bit about the science. And, you know, when it was announced, I was getting a lot of calls from people who were hesitant saying, They don't want to go to a restaurant if they don't know people are vaccinated. So what are some tips if you're going to a place where things are a lot looser than they are here? Uh, We'll have all of that when we return. Before we go to break, the number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740, and we'll be back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Some leading doctors were among those pushing for the loosened travel restrictions. So how does science back them up? And as we move to living with this virus, a lot of people are still hesitant about opening up. And when it comes to travel, specifically, what's the advice if you're going somewhere where things are a lot looser? I mean, things like masking and distancing. Uh, do you have questions? The numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Dr. Dominic Mertz, the medical director of Infection Control at McMaster University and Infectious Diseases Physician at Hamilton Health Sciences, and Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member at the Dalalana School of Public Health. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Hi, Lady. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Dr. Mertz, let's begin with you. Why did you think it was important to loosen the travel restrictions? Yeah, I think it's it, it, it was past time to to get rid of the the, the PCR testing. Um, 
I, I think one main piece, and when we are looking at it now through the lens of the decisions made, was that with PCR testing, you're likely to be still positive even if you had had your Omicron infection in the last few weeks and you happen to travel you wouldn't have had access to a PCR test. You wouldn't know that you had been positive. And then you're stranded abroad because of a PCR test from an infection that's remote. You're not actively infected anymore. There's no reason to prevent you from traveling back to Canada, but yet you would have been stuck in that country. And the rapid antigene test, as much as I believe it will not add an awful lot other than for the optics, um, will get get around that problem because those don't remain positive for weeks and weeks or even months. So I, I think that's that part. And the other part is really Omicron is everywhere globally. It's here as well. We went through a quite significant Omicron wave, um, either shutting down borders or doing PCR or any type of testing will not prevent Omicron from staying here. And then you need to look at the gradient of risk from the uh, country you're leaving versus the country you're you're at home or you're traveling to. Uh, You know, it's interesting that you mentioned staying positive. I, I have a friend, her whole family came down with it around Christmas time. They traveled afterwards and they were sort of a forewarned to get a doctor's note. But it was interesting that after they recovered, she tested negative, but her husband kept testing positive and they had been sick at the same time. So that's an interesting point. And I think uh, uh, probably a relief uh, for people who are aware that even after you've had it, you can test positive. And I mean, that's one part that we have been seeing since the very, very beginning of the pandemic, right? We had those weak positive PCR tests in asymptomatic individuals. We first thought it's false positive so that it finds something that's not there. But then over time, we realized, oh, no, those are people who have had their infection weeks or sometimes months back and just to remain positive. Now, in a, in a population where you, everyone would have been tested, it's less of an issue, right? But now that we are not testing anymore, unless you are in those at-risk populations or work in a, in a high-risk setting, you don't have access to PCR anymore. So there's no way for you to easily get that PCR confirmed. So your need to get a PCR test for travel would be waived. And in order to align the new realities, it was certainly the right step to to drop the PCR testing. Dr. Ja, do you agree that this was the right time to do this? I think it should have been done earlier. In fact, there was really no reason to have particularly testing on arrival if there's testing uh, at departure. And uh, as my colleague has indicated, that uh, it just created a fair amount of confusion why there were different rules for the U.S. versus the rest of the world. So I'm glad uh, Minister Duclos finally pulled the plug on what really shouldn't have been put in in the first place, is testing on arrival. Now, I do believe that testing prior to getting on a plane, in particular with the rapid antigen test, is feasible. I mean, there are some trade-offs in terms of how sensitive that uh, that assay works versus PCR, but uh, at least in terms of thinking about keeping the plane safe, um, it is a reasonable strategy. Um, and of course, we have to remember all of these things don't work in isolation. 
An ongoing push to get vaccination rates up still remains the core strategy that we can't abandon uh, in any way. So thinking about highly vaccinated populations and uh, making sure that there is some pre-flight testing, uh, I think would be a reasonable strategy. What would about- I feel safe uh, on a plane uh, sitting next to someone who, let's say, had um, been recently tested and been vaccinated? Yeah. Would I still put on a mask? I think for the next few months that that's the reality that we will have to continue to mask. But those are minor inconveniences versus not being able to travel at all. Uh- I have a question about those rapid tests. So first of all, the random ones, which still remain. So I have to say, everybody that I know uh, that has traveled in the last couple of months has been, and I'm putting air quotes here, randomly selected for a PCR test. And in the case of people who are returning to work, it's a a pain in the you-know-where because they had to isolate while waiting for the result. At least now you won't have to do that. But is there any point to keep doing that if they've had a, a, uh, a test on departure, Dr. Mertz? Um, well, I think you, you look at two different things, right? My colleague just mentioned the risk on, on airplanes, which isn't a large risk to start with. But you can use that as an argument to say, OK, there's some value of rapid antigen testing uh, prior to boarding a plane to reduce that risk. Um, the, the arrival testing, the only rational I see there is for basically VOC surveillance. So looking at what's coming in from abroad. Um, if you assume that the countries where those people are flying in from don't have any surveillance happening and Canada happens to be the first country to de- detect the new VOC in another country, which seems unlikely, but I think that's the point you can make for any type of random arrival testing, basically for surveillance uh, reasons to say, okay, we still have an eye on what's happening in terms of variants of concern among the travelers coming back. But you can do the same basically by sequencing what, what you're testing in your community. Eventually you will pick it up as well if there's new variants of concerns popping up. Um, you don't need to test the travelers for that. But that's, to me, the only rationale that I can see for for the arrival testing. It always had been um, because, again, the risk of an international traveler, depending on behavior during the travel, isn't necessarily bigger than, than what we would have had here going through this way. Okay. Uh, Daryl in Toronto has a question. Hello, Daryl. Hello. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the Hi. air. Um, my question is not as much with international travel or anything like that, but um, from things I've heard that 10 weeks after you got your booster that your immunity starts to wane. And I've also heard that the best situation would be to have booster shot and to have, as they could have seen, COVID. So I'm just getting up to like the 10th week there. Is it a better risk for me to go out now than three weeks from now when I'm in a place where we don't know if someone's been uh, vaccinated or not, whereas Nat, you know, this week he still would, um, and to get exposed to it, not that I want to, but, you know, is it safer now or just getting worse situations? I'm, I, are you asking if you should deliberately expose yourself to the virus? Is that what you're asking? Uh, not really, but am I less risk 
doing it now than several weeks from now. Okay, I'll let the doctors, I'm going to let you go, Daryl, and you listen, and the doctors will answer. Uh, Dr. Ja? It's clear that having three doses of uh, the the standard vaccines we use in Canada gives the best protection against infection, including from Omicron. Uh, But in terms of preventing hospitalization or death, we still have to remember two doses. Actually, it gives you pretty good, pretty good protection. So if the goal is to prevent uh, um, basically Omicron infection, the best strategy remains get vaccinated. Now, there is some evidence, as the caller picked up, that a combination of vaccination and natural infection might give you an immune boost. But I highly discourage this idea that, you know, like the old chickenpox parties, you take your kid where someone's got chickenpox and get them be naturally exposed. I think what he was asking was, uh, he's. I've seen studies that say that the third dose, kind of the immunity wanes after four months. He He's seen something that said it starts to wane at 12 weeks. So I guess... What I think he was asking is, is is he better off taking his trip now uh, at, when he's at 12 weeks? Um, yeah. Well, it is 12 weeks is four months. Yeah. So or or um, is he covered if he waits a bit longer? Well, the, it, we know that the immunity, um, the antibody levels fall over time. But there are other types of immunity that the body has. Uh, some are driven by something called uh, T-cells, which actually sustains over a longer time period. So um, the key in terms of thinking about risk is, okay, am I going to a place where there's many people vaccinated, and if they're using, at least in closed indoor spaces, masks, then my chance of getting exposure is actually quite low. And I wouldn't worry so much about whether I... Uh, well, do I have to travel within a certain time period before my immunity falls? Well, I wouldn't worry about that. I would really, the risk judgment is where am I going? Or is it mostly a vaccinated population? And if it's not, then in indoor places, particularly closed indoor spaces, if I want to go to a bar or something, will people be masking? Or at least will they not look down on me for wearing a mask inside a bar. Um, I mean, those are the practical considerations we have. I wouldn't worry too much about trying to go when you've got peak antibody because no one really understands that. Okay. Let's take a call from Barbara in Etobicoke. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Libby. Thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to comment. I had I have two trips. One that uh, was going a riverboat cruise to Portugal uh, leaving next month. Um, the company has canceled out of an abundance of caution and safety taking into account the Canadian Travel Advisory as well as the American CDC Travel Advisory. However, the second trip is a European tour in August, the main feature of which is to attend the Passion Play Oberammergau in Germany, which is a huge event attended by 4,700 people every day. Right now, the company is indicating that it is a definite departure and a go-ahead um, I'm a senior, fully vaccinated, and with a booster. Just wondering if your panel has any comment on attending that kind of event. It takes place over seven hours in one day, four hours in the afternoon, three in the evening, sitting side by side, but outside. I do not know if there is going to be masking requirements or anything of that nature at this point in time. Um, uh, Dr. Mertz, uh, by your accent, uh, maybe you're familiar with this event. 
Yeah, I, no, I, I'm not familiar with that event. I'm Swiss and not German, but uh, either way, what I hear is uh, like a large scale outdoor gathering. My expectation based on what I see is happening in Germany that is, is probably not going to be masked when this is going to be in summer, but things may change. Who knows? Um, so uh, to start with, I, I mean, we, we all know by now that outdoors is by far safer than indoors. Again, I assume you're at least double, you're probably triple vaxxed. Um, again, going back to what my colleague Dr. Charles said earlier, in terms of preventing the risk that you first and foremost want to prevent, which is getting severely sick with the virus, the vaccines are the best single thing you can do. And uh, then it, it really depends on how the epidemiology will look like in summer in Germany, in that region, or among the people that will be in attendance. Uh, if it happens to be another wave, of course, you, you would put yourself at a relatively high risk to get exposed. If it's going to be, as in previous summers, a uh, relatively low burn with covid um, it, it seems to me to be a relatively low-risk activity. But it, it's hard to predict how things will look like in summer. But um, again, based on, on historic, what we've seen over summers and what we expect in terms of policies for Germany for summer, uh, that would be my assessment at this point of time. I might be entirely wrong if you ask me the same question in three months from now. Barbara, so uh, uh, I, I would... Uh, to m- it looks like it's okay, but who the heck knows? <laughs> well, it's a good thing I have travel insurance. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's the key. Travel insurance and, and Barbara, enjoy your trips. Great. Thank you very much, Libby. And thank you again for my call and the advice. Okay. Uh, we're basically out of time. Uh, 20 seconds to each of our guests. Dr. Ja, what would you like to leave us with? Get vaccinated and feel safe. Okay. That's quick. And Dr. Mertz. Yeah, I think to get vaccinated again, it, it, it's the single most important thing you can do these days. And uh, then, yeah, enjoy whatever you're doing. And I think we all learned in the meantime uh, how risk assessment works. And everyone has a different comfort zone in terms of risk. Adjust your activities to your comfort zone. Okay, good advice. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Prabhat Ja and Dr. Dominic Mertz. Appreciate your time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are going to take another break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Lisa Raitt, the former deputy leader of the Conservative Party and still a force within the party when we return. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We've been talking a lot about the Conservative Party lately as it goes through major changes and more than a little turmoil. They dumped their leader, Aaron O'Toole, and the leadership race is on, although there's been no announcement on a timeline or rules or the amount of money needed to enter. The only declared candidate is Pierre Polyèvre. He is a firebrand. On the right, uh, he will appeal to the base, and a lot of names have been bandied about from the moderate wing of 
the party. And uh, the question for everyone, is there anyone who can bring those two sides together? Lisa Raitt is a former deputy leader of the Conservative Party of Canada and a force within the party. Now she is co-chair of Conservatives for Clean Growth. And that's a group that wants the party to adopt serious measures for climate change. She's also been very open about sharing her personal situation, which is very important to us here at Zoomer Media. She is caregiver for her husband, Bruce, who suffers with early onset Alzheimer's. And I would like to welcome Lisa Raid. Hi there. Long time no talk. I know, but it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on, Libby. Uh, thanks for coming on. And uh, how are things with Bruce, your husband? I have a positive update today. How's that? I That's mean, We great. all know it is. I know for once. Uh, we all know that Alzheimer's is not curable. There aren't treatments to prevent the disease from continuing to take away from a person's uh, abilities. However, sometimes when you have symptoms that are really difficult, like Bruce did, he had behavioral symptoms. It caused him to be extremely angry, agitated, violent, striking out. That was about uh, 14 months ago. Well, we sought treatment at Baycrest. He went through, um, as I said, 14 months of trying different medications and being treated so very well by the staff. And four days ago, he was released from the hospital wing, and now he's in a bed in a long-term care unit at Baycrest, which is something that a year ago I could never dream would ever happen. Wow, that's that's great. And uh, was it a combination of uh, a drug therapy and behavioral uh, a talk therapy or something else? Or uh, was it basically the drugs? Always going to be about the drugs. So Bruce was suffering from hallucinations, which really made him upset, and he would strike out as a result. So getting the hallucinations under control, uh, providing some mood-stabilizing drugs, uh, antidepressants also is helpful. And just making sure that he is sleeping well and eating well. And that is why it's so important to be in a, in a hospital environment doing this, weaning them from the drugs that they're on, trying new drugs that will work better, but having that constant care where they say, okay, now is the time to eat, now is, now is the time to change you, now is the time to go to bed. With sleep and with proper care and with the right drugs that we finally found, he is having a much better quality of life. And I talked to his nurses last night, and they said he's kind, he's gentle, and he's fun to have around. I mean, who could ask for more? Well, yeah, that's uh, that's the guy you married, right? Yeah, exactly. He's he's super. Well, he doesn't remember I married him. Every time I tell him, Libby, he laughs. Does he if, know you? He knows. He knows I'm a face that he wants to see. And he, you know, when he hugs me, he'll say, "Oh, I love you." But the concept that I'm his wife, no. I, I don't know if he thinks I'm his mother sometimes, to be honest. But it doesn't matter. I know he loves me. He knows I love him. And I visit as often as I can. And uh, how are you doing with all of this? I mean, this is, uh, you know, it just as difficult, if not more difficult, on the family and the caregivers. It is. And in, and I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm looking for sympathy or empathy, but... It's just to illustrate that life goes on. I lost my mother to brain cancer in January of this year. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. But it just shows you life does go on still when you're a caregiver. and You're going to have other things that are thrown at you, and it's going to be destabilizing. I'm in a good space right now because having Bruce out of the hospital and on a solid treatment plan that works is a weight off my shoulders. And having him in a long-term care unit that cares about him, again, it's so very positive. So I'm going to enjoy 
the good times we have right now. I know eventually he'll be in a wheelchair and he won't know me and won't recognize me. But for today, he does. And we walk around holding hands. And I'm happy with that. Well, yeah, it, it's, um, you know, it, it's such a difficult thing that you've taken on. I uh, really admire you for this. Well, I appreciate it. But I want people to know that there can be happiness out of these out of these instances that if you do have a spouse or a mom who is experiencing these really terrible, really terrible symptoms of rage and anxiety and, of, you know, violence, there can be treatment that can bring them back to a nice, stable, steady uh, behavior system. Well, it's good to hear that. Uh, let's turn now to the politics. Sure. Uh, so, Pierre Polyevre is the only declared candidate. We have heard a lot of other names bandied about uh, the other names, most of them being from the more moderate side of the party. We've heard of Jean Charest, Patrick mm-hmm. Brown, uh, Tasha Carradine's name has yeah. been mentioned. Uh, wh- what do you make of all of that? Well, it's, it's early days. I mean, Pierre came out very early to set the tone. He had 14 members of parliament sign up to say that they support him. And that's a really show of force, right? So it's causing other people to think, well, does he really have it in Lisa? the bother? Hi, I'm here. Can yes. you hear me? Uh, you dropped out for a second, oh, but go ahead. I will continue. So what I said was the way in which Pierre approached it, it's almost like a, a bully bid when you're in real estate, meaning hopefully people are going to take a second thought uh, about whether or not to run because he showed that he had such great support from within caucus. However, there are lots of people out there who think that the next time the conservatives run, uh, they're going to be forming government. So it is an opportune time. So that's why you hear so many names being being tossed about. I think once the party tells you what the rules are, how long the campaign is going to be and how much it's going to cost to, to enter the campaign you'll see uh, it all crystallize and people will start announcing that they're actually going to be running and this is what their campaign team looks like. Are you involved in those discussions at all? I'm not. I'm not. I've taken a different path. So I was a candidate for leader in 1617. I was the co-chair of the organizing committee that ran the race in uh, 2019. And this time I've taken a different path and instead of supporting a candidate... I'm part of a group who wants to be a resource for candidates who want to put forth a climate plan that ensures clean growth in our country. And that's kind of what my passion is right now. I'll work with any candidate who wants to do this. Uh, There's opposition to that in the party. And uh, my understanding is that that's one of the reasons that Aaron O'Toole became unpopular was because he suddenly decided that, that having... Uh, policy carbon pricing was okay. So, you know, it's interesting. Part of the reason why I wanted to join this was because I think we focus way too much on the price of carbon and whether or not there should be a price, a retail price on carbon. And for the trees that we look at, we miss the forest. And the forest is, we are moving to a net zero world. We have natural gas and nuclear in this country that we want to promote and make sure it's part of the transition to net zero. And without conservative voices in government or in the rooms in which decisions are being made, we're not going to be able to advocate for a slow and steady approach to ensuring that our economy continues to grow. So that's that's where I come from. I'm not going to argue with people about carbon tax. That is one of the ways 
in which to deal with pricing of carbon. But it's not the only way, and it's not the only issue. And I want them to, to think climate policy and growth is very different than just talking about raising money from taxpayers and why we shouldn't do it in the way that the Trudeau government has chosen to do it. Let's talk about the issues that are going to be really important in the next 10 years. And I see that from my work um, in my current job at CIBC, how important these discussions are and the fact that they're really happening. It seems to me that there's a fundamental divide in the Conservative Party between the old progressive Conservatives and the old Reform Party. Um, Does that get healed? So, yes, of course. And I would say that although I'm pretty sure people think I'm a red Tory, the reality is it's the the fiscal side of the party that attracted me to it. So the, the really hardcore uh, fiscal conservatism is what made me want to run. That that was the key for me. And, and I've always found uh, to have common common goals with folks who are more to the right than I am, especially when it comes to the economy. So I say that to point out that on issues, we can work together. It's a big party. It's a big tent. And you don't feel divided when you're sitting in that caucus room together. And not to be flip about it, um, they did all come together in, in order to remove their leader. That was a vote that was very, very clear that it was uh, all stripes within the party that decided that they wanted to have a new leader. Uh Turning to what's going on now with the blockades, Pierre Polyevra, you know, he started off by saying he's proud of the truckers, supported them. Then uh, laterally, he said, oh, I don't think blockades are so good. Um, How is that affecting the party, that whole issue? That's that's a really that's a really good question. I think I think it's going to impact the leadership race for sure. Because the other candidates who will eventually join the race really aren't on record on on anything to do with the with the what's happening in Ottawa or what happened at the at the border crossing. So they get the benefit of being critical of whatever steps the Trudeau government has taken, such as what we see happening right now with respect to the emergency order. Um, the Conservative Party, you know, they they express their support for the individuals. And again, it's kind of like seeing the trees and not the forest. The forest was, this is a pretty dangerous situation and it could spread across the country. And we need to be mindful that shutting down commerce and behaving in a violent manner are not acceptable and they're not conservative ways. And I, I had hoped that they would be a little stronger at the beginning, but I certainly believe that they have definitely rounded the corner and are on the right side of the issue. Uh, in terms of what they're they're calling for, end of the blockades, and ensuring that uh, this emergency order isn't overly broad. Hmm. Uh, it it's it's interesting. It sort of almost seems like uh, a bandwagon that was uh, an appeal to you know possible support, and then I don't know a pivot at the end. I don't know how believable it is. Yeah, I think what you saw was a lot of uh, members who were under pressure from the people who are in their hometowns. and They probably knew people who were in the convoy and they thought it was they were being pitched as if it was just, you know, a group of people who were protesting and we all get to protest. But but then it turned. And at that point, you really should pivot and you really should realize that maybe they're saying they're only coming to Ottawa to do, do X, which is show the government. But 
entrenching and what ended up happening is just not acceptable in any of our cities or towns. And as I said, I think Mr. Polyev is further out uh, for sure on a limb in terms of how he's engaging with the folks who are taking part in this. And the other candidates won't have to be burdened with that. That's not going to be something they're going to be questioned on. The party, um, they're going to have to show that they're the opposition and that they're they're standing up for all Canadians, including those who are being un- not only inconvenienced, but, you know, their their livelihood is, is at risk. Well, the, the one of the interesting things I find in terms of Polyevra is it's not like he's getting elected in Alberta. It's uh, in Carleton, which is Ottawa's backyard. Indeed. And so the interest, again, the interesting part about running for any kind of leadership or election is you're trying to attract certain voters. And I guess in this case, their team decided that going down this path was a good way in order to gather signatures, to gather support, to gather votes. Um, but then you got to watch where the issue ends up going and you have to be ready to deal with it should it become more of a burden to you than it is a benefit to you in terms of your campaign. And uh, do you believe that uh, you need somebody who is uh, socially centrist in order to win a, a federal election? I, I think we need somebody who can excite all conservatives to get behind on a vision that we all can agree with. And yep, I believe that climate and clean growth is part of that vision. And I'd like to see some people talking about it in their, their leadership. But it is, um, as I said, there is a great disillusionment with this liberal government. There's a great disillusionment with the, the ministers who are involved and, of course, the prime minister. And there is an opportunity for conservatives to form a government, but you need the right leader. You need someone who's going to inspire and uplift and not only have the base come out to vote, but as well, you know, get those folks like in my old riding of Milton um, behind you and, and want to vote for you. Any, any thoughts on any names? Can you think of someone who fits that bill? I think there's lots who can fit the potential. Uh, I mean, I think Pierre is a, a fantastic speaker. I, I don't know whether or not his, what his, he's talking about now, you know, sells in downtown Milton. For some people it does, but for enough people, I don't know. Like, you have to get above 30% of, of the vote. Um, I heard that John Charest is coming in. I heard that Peter McKay is coming in. I heard Patrick Brown's coming in. Tasha, as you mentioned. All those are really good speakers, and they are they are passionate, and they... If they have the right team behind them with the right policies, they're going to get some, they're going to get attention. Anything else you'd like to leave us with, Lisa? No, but I, I would just say that, you know, watch the race because it, this is the first race in a long time that we're not going to be necessarily in virtual worlds. I hope they do live debates and I hope that they let people have a minute or two to actually, uh, to actually get their point of view out. And the other thing I would watch for those of you who are, you know, interested in politics, watch how the liberals react. Let's see who they're worried about. I mean, that to me is equally as interesting as what the conservatives are doing. It's how the others are going to react to it. And you'll see who they don't think they want to go up against. Okay. Lisa Wright, great talking to you. Thanks so much. My pleasure, Libby. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. 
Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.